Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday, the 1st of August, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Campaigners against the overgrounding of pylons on Airgrid's north-south interconnector are calling into question the independence of Airgrid and also the independence of government in framing policy for the construction of the proposed project. The Northeast Pylon Pressure Campaign Group says that there is a cosy relationship between the two and that that freedom of information documents released to the Northern Standard highlight a relationship in which Airgrid is calling the shots and the politicians are responding to people's concerns by telling them what Airgrid wants them to say. Correspondence between the department and Airgrid highlight how government asked Airgrid to answer questions being asked by landowners. Airgrid warned government of a Facebook post flagging dull questions to be posed about the project and Airgrid wrote a press release which was then issued to the Michael Reed Show on LMFM by the Department of Communications. Porrig O'Reilly, spokesperson with the North East Pile and Pressure campaign, is on the line. Porrig, I suppose this comes as not much of a surprise to you. Uh, it's not much of a uh, good morning, Michael. It's not much of a surprise to us, um, but yet it's very important for us to see see everything confirmed in writing, as it were, of the correspondence and the very close relationship between the department and Airgrid. And uh, it's proof that really uh, some action needs to be taken in calling the department into account on their judgment and on their decisions around the North South interconnector because they're basically being led totally by Airgrid. And as you know, we've had many issues with Airgrid over the years in terms of their statements in relation to public consultation and technical matters. And and the department really needs to have an objective approach on this trawl of information. And and it's very hard to to capture it all, because it's it's, it's a vast amount. Uh, But because of the scale of it, it's very clear to see that there is a completely... Um, unhealthy um, dependent relation by the department on Airgrid for every twist and turn on this project. But if Minister Nocton or the department or his officials don't take advice from Airgrid, who should they be taking advice from? 
Well, the, 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 that's the nub of the point. Uh, what has been said all along by them and what should be the case is that, of course, Airgrid will have an input into uh, statements to the department. But likewise, there have been uh, calls for uh, independent uh, studies, independent uh, consultants to be brought in to give a view on the newer technologies of undergrounding, which Airgrid are, are very slow to, to accept. And the department has said all along that they have no uh, function in the day-to-day operations of Airgrid and that they have looked at independent studies. And what this trial shows is that's clearly not the case. They are, are, are deferring to Airgrid on every matter, including getting them to write their own press releases, which if, to us is, is just not, it's not acceptable uh, in terms of how they should be operating. Give us uh, some detail, uh, because uh, as you say, there's a, a lot in this. This is correspondence over a, a two-year period or, or thereabouts uh, from uh, the 6th of December 2016 to the 10th of May this year and there's 135 pieces of correspondence involved in all of this so it is quite detailed uh, but what stands out to you most? Yeah, it is quite detailed and there's, there's more stuff that we will be, be highlighting in the next few weeks but what stands out most I guess from a general perspective is just the the level of detail in the correspondence from uh, analysing and watching every movement in relation to this project which is totally at variance with what Minister Nocton has said on many, many times when he's been challenged on asking uh, for input and for a decision in relation to this uh, project, he always says, I have nothing to do with the operational matters going on in Airgrid. And what this shows is that on a weekly basis, at least, because there's a weekly update provided by Airgrid to the department, but often on a daily basis, there's correspondence, uh, including things like, you know, everything politicians are saying from their tweets to Facebook statements, all press releases in the media, um, what is happening with the mobile units that are going around Mead Cavan and Monaghan, uh, all sponsorship, advertising, recruitment, uh, the legal strategies. We even have a situation where although the state was present uh, in, in all of the court cases with uh, senior and junior counsel, uh, the department still asked Egret for, for um, uh, summaries on these legal activities from their side as well. Uh, everything to do with Northern Ireland uh, and uh, all of the technical matters, uh, the community meetings that are going on. It, it just goes on and on, Michael. So what stands out to us is that uh, the department is falling back totally on everything Airgrid is saying. And what's frightening for us is that the way that Airgrid have represented the reality on the ground is totally misleading. In in the 135 documents, there's not a single line highlighting uh, the issues that the landowners have with this project and that the communities have. Everything is referred to as a positive engagement with the communities. Uh, even the mobile unit weekly visits, uh, and there have been a number of times when landowners have given up work for a few hours, gone in and talked to the airgrid personnel and said, listen, here's the issues we have, this is what we want, message we want you to take back mm. to airgrid, to the top table. There's not a single line mentioned uh, over that period of time uh, of that to the department. Okay, uh, just... Uh 
try and uh, put some meat on those bones uh, because in February, I think I was reading out uh, a statement uh, from uh, the department on the programme. Uh, that was following an interview that we did with Airgrid. Uh, you disputed what Airgrid said. We asked the department to clarify the difference between the two of you. Uh, and then this went around the houses uh, because as it transpired, the department made contact with Airgrid. Airgrid wrote up a statement, sent that on to the department, and then the department sent it to us, and then we read it out as the clarification uh, in relation to the dispute between yourself and Airgrid. Uh, Correct, Michael. As as convoluted as that sounds. Convoluted, say the least, and I know from just checking the emails from from your side or your people's side, you had a number of email requests into the department before you uh, got the press release. And obviously, what this show, what 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 the, what the FOI shows is that in the background, uh, the delay was because the department got onto Airgrid to, to write a response and send it over, and then it was sent in, and it was sent in verbatim. There wasn't one word changed in the Airgrid uh, statement, uh, but it was presented to you as the department's uh, response to your mm. questions, and then we, as a group, were asked to respond to what the department's position were, where it was really the Airgrid's position. All right, and quite often we hear that the government. Is- listening, the Minister is listening, the government is meeting with landowners and uh, community representatives, as we do of Airgrid for that matter, Uh, but one meeting took place uh, between uh, the Minister of Civil Servants and uh, the Antipylon Group in Monaghan. Uh, The Minister listened, heard the questions, and then the officials wrote to Airgrid and said, well, this is what they're asking, what would we say to them? Michael, and that was actually a, a quite a large meeting. It was held in, Len- in, in, in one of the Leinster House meeting rooms. Many of the TDs of, in the North East were there, many of the senators, um, um, the minister, uh, all his, uh, a number of his civil servants, I think three or four, if, if my memory is correct. Um, and uh, it was stated very clearly by the minister and, and his officials that they were here to listen to us and to understand the concerns and to follow up on the any issues that we had and to do so in a, in a, an objective manner. And that was on the 8th of February of 2017. And the next morning, there was an email from one of those civil servants to Airgrid to say, here are a number of questions from the minister. Uh, there were about 10 different questions. And... Um, uh, can you give us uh, can you give us uh, an answer to those? And over the next uh, ensuing two or three weeks, there were various drafts of the answers mm. till they were all tidied up, and uh, then sent to the minister as the official responses to our questions. Yeah, but is that not reasonable? Uh, I mean, are, are both issues not reasonable uh, in terms of the claim that was made by Airgrid on this programme uh, that they'd be able to enter people's lands to construct uh, the pylons? That was the issue that was in dispute uh, when we asked the Department of Communications about that, no doubt they said to Airgrid, well, what are you on about? And they explained it, so then they sent us on the explanation. In the same way, the Minister meets with landowners, they have questions, the Minister doesn't know the answer to them, so he asks Airgrid, they furnish the responses and the officials feel they're appropriate responses and then send them on. Well, what we say, Michael, there's a certain amount of reason, but of course it's fine to defer to Airgrid as the semi-state company with, with the responsibility for, for the grid. So, uh, of course, some, uh, we would say some of those questions 
were reasonable to defer uh, to Airgrid, but not just to Airgrid in terms of technical matters. As we said, you know, there should be mm-hmm. there should be independent analysis uh, done as well. And secondly, some of the questions were not relevant for Airgrid in terms of what happens in relation to public consultation in other countries, for instance, around um, um, projects such as this. Uh, getting a hundred percent response from Airgrid on this is 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 deplorable in our view, and the response they actually gave was also deplorable. And we go, we'll be going into that later, but they basically said everything is the same. Every other country does the same as us uh, in Belgium and in Denmark, and it's completely not the case. And in areas like that, the department uh, is their duty where you do not require technical input to check that out elsewhere. And um, it's not just not uh, going elsewhere with the questions, it's the tone and the demeanour of how the um, correspondence goes is that no matter what question there is of any shape or form, even if irrelevant to Airgrid, you can see that there's a relationship there that uh, gives us an answer and we, we'll move on with that. All right. Patrick O'Reilly, spokesperson with uh, the North East Pollen Pressure Campaign, is telling us why he believes the Department of Communications is colluding with Airgrid to overground the pylons on the North East uh, pile uh, on the um, North South interconnector. Uh, but Patrick, don't we really enter into conspiracy theories when we start talking about the Facebook posts? This is Shane Castles, Finnafall TD for Me the West, who wrote on Facebook that he hoped to raise questions in the doll. Well, I mean, uh, uh, for us, it's not uh, a way the department should be operating, uh, and it's not something that Airgrid should be should be doing either. It's 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 fine for each individual company to follow what they like on any of these social medias, but to use what is public's time uh, to be. Uh, having correspondence on this and suggesting responses uh, to uh, Shane Cass's TD, for example, before he even asked the question in the doll and preparing texts on possible questions. We think this is, is, is totally wrong in terms of how we're operating and how the department is operating. Is that what happened? I, I mean, Shane Castles writes on Facebook he hopes to raise questions in the doll. Somebody sees it and then they're communicating on an ongoing basis with somebody else in the department and they say, oh, I see Shane Castles is going to raise this in the doll this week. Uh, the department official would probably know that. Uh, certainly uh, the politicians would know that because you don't just ask questions in the doll. Questions are submitted uh, and uh, they're either... Uh, flagged in advance or not, so that responses can be given. Yeah, they are flagged in, 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 in advance, but this is this is uh, in many ways this is just a, a comment from Shane Cass's on his own uh, Facebook post. Uh, it's it's not an official question, and in our view, it should not take up Airgrid's time or the department's time until it becomes an official question. And in 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 that case, where there's a question to the minister, then it is the department's duty to write the appropriate response. And as I've been saying earlier, not to defer to Airgrid on every line for an answer. In both cases. I think this is this is totally wrong. It'll be up for Shane and other TDs to respond in their own um, way. But uh, I know what Shane has said already that this is this is this is out of order in terms of the mm. uh, as he said the government minions monitoring his page in in such detail and work, you know actually. <laughs> 
talking yeah. taxpayer money doing know, stuff I, before I, you I, even I, ask the question. And, and I, I, I read, him, read him say as much uh, in uh, the Mead Chronicle, but I, I thought he, he put the post up on Facebook so that people would read it. Um, there's uh, information that has uh, been given to the department by Airgrid, though, that you say is incorrect to do with overgrounding and undergrounding the lines, uh, and that uh, if you overground the lines, there'll be a fault once every 20 years and there'll be a fault every year if you underground them. That means there'll be a lot more maintenance in undergrounding lines. You say that's simply incorrect. Yeah, and I guess this gets to the nub of, of our issue, Michael, because correspondence is one thing. If, if it was accurate and objective correspondence, then I guess we wouldn't be arguing with it, even if it was in a lot more detail than we ever expected. But when when we see t- many of the uh, the um, critical areas, particularly on the technical side, in our view, being totally um, wrongly uh, highlighted to the department, then it gives us great concern. And and a, and a very uh, obvious one was on reliability um, of undergrounding versus overhead. I think the department are running scared on the fact that they've been claimed that undergrounding is is, is less reliable. And, and some of the records have shown that what Airgrid have said is totally untrue. And Airgrid have said in, in that correspondence that um, undergrounding is actually very unreliable and risky. Mm. Uh, and for us, this is, is, is uh, totally incorrect. Uh, it um, contradicts what Airgrid actually said in an oral hearing in 2010. The very same person who, who is now communicating with the department and saying that undergrounding is unreliable has said that it's as reliable as overheads in, in, in official submission to the, to the oral hearing and in oral evidence. Um, he's also failing to highlight that the Independent Expert Commission 2012 the only independence uh, commission ever used in the last 10 years uh, have not had an issue with reli- reliability of undergrounding and have stated that on the record. And I suppose the, the, the more important point is that it's actually a non-issue because for undergrounding, you run a second line along the first cable that you're using. And if anything happens to the first one, even if it's rare, then the second one kicks in immediately. And it doesn't matter how long it takes to repair the first one. You have a second one sitting there ready to be used. OK, I think you've done a, a very good job uh, in the last minute or so in highlighting uh, the difference of uh, opinion. And to, to a large degree, there is a, a difference of opinion. Airgrid has its proposal and you dis- uh, agree with what they're proposing and uh, the merit of how they're proposing to construct this vital piece of infrastructure. Uh, you're saying that the department should be independent and adjudicate between the two of you, but instead it's really uh, speaking for Airgrid and Airgrid is telling it what to say. You've asked that uh, the Finnegale TDs for the area, Regina Doherty, Helen McEntee, Damien English and Heather Humphreys would respond to this. Uh, and we've sent the documentation that you've sent onto us onto each of the four ministers uh, and ask them to respond so perhaps uh, we can return to it at another time thanks for that porrick porrick o'reilly spokesperson with uh, the northeast pile and pressure campaign 
Energy prices increase uh, this week and in some cases by almost 13%. Electricity prices are up by 5.8% to 9.38% depending on your provider while gas prices will go up uh, between 4.7% and 12.8%. Again, depending on your provider. Worst case scenario, this uh, amounts to almost €200 over the course of the year. Now, that's a, a lot of money and more money for some than it is for others, especially when you hear of people falling into debt to cover the cost of going back to school. Jennifer Thompson is Social Policy Officer with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and on the line. Jennifer, does it have to be so bad or is there any way of avoiding this increase? Well, um, yeah, it's not the best start to August. Um, from today, we have Energia. Flow Gas, Electric Ireland, Panda Power, Pinergy, all increasing their their prices. Um, and a few weeks ago, Board Gosh have also announced that, that they will be increasing their prices from the 6th of August. Um, and as you say, it's the time of year as well that this is coming at. It is a bit of a perfect storm when families do have little spare money. And the back-to-school costs. Um, as you were saying, uh, is we very much see um, the acute pressure that this time of year places families under. Uh, and the Irish League of Credit Union, indeed, just a week ago, um, released their report on the cost of back to school, which showed how a third of parents are actually getting into debt to cover the back to school costs, um, and that over a quarter are actually going to money lenders which is a great concern for us. Um, And their research has um, backed up what we are seeing as well in terms of the tough choices that families have to make. Mm. Um, The Irish Legal Credit Union is saying that 15% will have to cut back on food and 22% said they had to cut back on household bills. Um, So it's, you know, this is at a time when all these, the wholesale prices of electricity and gas are going up and all these energy hikes um, families are, are being faced with these as well. Um, and remember, it's only six, seven months mm. since a lot of these energy suppliers had already increased the cost. And of, navigating of the, uh, these companies and the prices uh, that they charge can be very complicated, can it, can't it? Uh, because yeah. it's a, a little bit like uh, insurance. Uh, it seems that loyalty is penalised and that you're rewarded if you go from uh, one to the other and switch companies at the end of a 12-month contract. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people actually don't switch and look around and... And an issue as well is that sometimes the savings, there, there can be savings by looking around and switching. Um, but what people may not realise or, or, you know, people lose track of time is that those deals that you get initially only last for the first year. Mm. And then you're automatically put um, onto a standard rate again, which would be slightly higher. Mm. So, um, you know, that has to be borne in mind as well. Well, that's yes. it. If you stay with the one company, you're probably on the worst rate of all. It's probably worse with one company than it is with another. But generally speaking, if you don't switch companies, you're going to be on the worst rate. And you could be looking at an increase of €200 Euro mm. this year. But if you were to switch your companies, your electricity and your gas, you could be saving €300. Euro. So you'd be up on the yeah. deal. There can be some some good bargains, um, and people can go on to switchers 
um.ie or bonkers.ie mm-hmm. and put in their particular details. And um, now, in fairness to Electric Ireland, they are continuing to give a 5% discount to customers who are experiencing financial hardship. Um, and they are actually one of the few that uh, are passing on the discounts to, you know, loyal customers that may not um, have a direct debit set up um, and prefer to, to, you know, pay mm. to a post office or whatever. Um, because that's a, a, an issue as well often is that you can't avail of discounts unless you set up a direct debit mm. um, and do it through banks and sometimes people aren't in a position to, to do that. Absolutely and I often think that a lot of these things are discriminatory against people who don't use uh, the internet in particular exactly. older people and that and perhaps if older people are listening to us uh, they'd ask somebody mm. they know who is a little bit younger who uses the internet uh, to do this searching mm. for cheaper deals for them. There are other things you can do as well. I suppose a lot of us have because of uh, the drought cut back on water consumption and maybe mm-hmm. not flushing the loo every time and it's amazing yeah. the amount of water you can save but it, it can be a little bit the same with electricity as you go into the winter putting on a, an extra jumper or turning lights off when you're not in the room and that sort of thing. Yeah and I think the SEAI, the Sustainable Energy Association of Ireland actually have quite useful tips um, about you know how you can reduce your energy and for example you sometimes might think that switching on and off on and off your your uh, lights hmm. might actually use up more energy than keeping it on, but that's actually not the case. If you leave your light on constantly, you actually would use up more energy. Um, so there, you know, there are energy savings. Hmm. Like like turning off all the red lights, you know that thing yeah. with the television. If you plug it out rather than leaving it on or plugged in with a turned off with the remote, uh, that saves on electricity as well. Yeah, I mean, hmm. I think you still use a third of the power hmm. by by having um, items, appliances on on standby. But I think this is really showing how um, we need to future-proof supports and provide assurance for energy-poor customers. Um, you know, the energy efficiency of our housing stock is something that uh, I think, if you're thinking about the long term and wanting to be sustainable, is something that really needs an investment. We um, welcomed Minister Nocton's announcement in March that uh, the Warmer Home Scheme will be expanded, allowing for deeper retrofit measures. But we do also know that there's over 1 million homes that um, need further improving with deep interventions required to make them energy efficient. So I think, you know, to be sustainable, we need to be thinking smarter as well. All right. Well, it's a a time for all of us uh, to think uh, because uh, there's uh, savings to be made and uh, the price is going up in the meanwhile. We have to leave it there, though. And thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Jennifer Thompson, Social Policy Officer with uh, the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Wednesday morning means all of the newspapers are in your local shops and Marie Cairns has them all in front of her. What's on the front pages? Uh, Let's start in Dundalk this week. We'll go to the Dundalk Democrat. Uh, Michael and Help Us is the headline of the front page door of this week's Dundalk Democrat and it's basically a plea from the new general manager at the Redeemer Family Resort Centre in Dundalk's Cox's Domains for help to try and tackle the growing problems both the centre itself and the entire area is facing. In an exclusive interview, uh, reporter 
Tia Clark has with Colin Roach. He explains that people in the area feel ostracised and abandoned with the poor state of the centre itself and the lack of facilities in the area, all contributing to the feelings of despair. Gosh, that's strong, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And it, it tells us that after Darndale in Dublin, this area is the most underprivileged estate in Ireland with antisocial behaviour being a huge issue. So that's the main story mm. there this okay, week. Okay, well that says it all. Alright, uh, we'll go to Drogheda now. The Drogheda Independent. Good news story this week, Michael. Oh, good, yeah. A story that broke earlier that Drogheda United is to get a new state-of-the-art stadium thanks to an agreement hammered out between the FAI and Loud County Council. Hubert Murphy is reporting that the 3,000 all-seater stadium, which can be expanded to 10,000 capacity in the future, will be located on a 38-acre site at Newtown on the outskirts of the town and will also accommodate several pitches developed for uses as a municipal complex. So that's great news all around because well, there's a huge lack of pitches in the area, Michael. I'm sure many people are saying let's hope that it will be located uh, because uh, there was a, a similar promise some years ago and it never transpired it much to the detriment of uh, the club. But good news for the moment uh, and I, I'm sure it's very welcome locally. Let's go to Mead. Uh, what's on the front of the Mead Chronicle this week? Well, the Mead Chronicle is, is leading with um, a story by Paul Murphy who tells us that presidential hopeful Gavin Duffy, who of course lives in County Meath is going to face an uphill battle if he hopes to win the nomination for Meath County Councillors. And what Mr Murphy is saying is that in a phone poll of 28 out of the 40 councillors carried out by the Meath Chronicle on Tuesday, just three, Fianna Fáil's Tommy Riley and Independent Sharon Keoghan and Nick Killian are leaning in his direction. Yeah, well, uh, I think Nick Killian made that clear when he spoke to us uh, before the meeting. And the the story goes on to say that uh, Mr Duffy has still not formally contacted contacted the council by Tuesday of this week with Councillor Kelly saying that he had tried to contact Mr Duffy's office to ascertain if he wished to lobby councillors at a county council gathering on August 27th. So okay. I'm sure he will be doing that, Michael, and lots sure to play will, out yeah. there. I wonder if uh, the 25 uh, who aren't uh, leaning in uh, Gavin Duffy's direction have uh, thought that somebody else would make a, a better candidate or are they holding uh, their council on that? Uh, obviously, time will tell uh, and we'll watch that space. Let's yes. go back to Dundalk. You've got the Argus there in front yeah, of you. Yeah, morning, before I go to that, oh, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah, another yeah, interesting yeah. piece that caught my eye inside yeah. the Chronicle this week. The paper's editor spends the morning on the trail of illegal dumpers with Meath County Council and there's lots of eye-opening stuff in that, Michael, for anyone mm. that wants to read. Okay. A life uh, with, with one of uh, the wardens and how they try and catch those who are dumping. Oh, very good, yeah. <laughs> yes, to the Dundalk Argus then, uh, back to Dundalk and the lead story there focuses on an appeal in relation to a fire in the town nearly four weeks ago. Mm. Reporter Olivia Ryan reveals that Guardi have launched a major appeal for information to that fire at a house in Castle Park which broke out at the early hours of July 4th in the property after an item was reportedly thrown into the downstairs of the house. Mm. A 50-year-old man, Michael, at this time who was upstairs in the house jumped out of the window to escape the blade and remains in a critical condition. And the paper is reporting that an instant room has been set up at Dundalk Garda Station to investigate and Garda are appealing for witnesses to come forward. Yeah, well, that was a, a petrol bomb that went through the window and uh, there's lots of uh, speculation locally as to why that happened and much concern, indeed, much concern for the man. There was talk about it being a mistaken identity uh, and uh, I believe uh, he broke his legs after jumping out of the window and there's concern that uh, he may never be able to walk again as a result 
undoubtedly the Gardaí would welcome any information on that particular incident and whoever was responsible for it. For that matter, I'm sure the community and the neighbours uh, would be very interested to know as well. But uh, that's uh, the front pages of the local newspapers Just one for more this to week. Go. No, oh, one right, more okay, to go. You have, I have. You have something Last else but by no means least, I have the Dundalk leader. Oh, so okay. we're staying in Dundalk and there are front page story leads with it's another good news story. It's Caelan holds nerve to take first major. And that's referring to Caelan Rafferty on winning his first golfing major on Sunday by capturing the South of Ireland Championship at Le Hinge. The story tells us that the 25-year-old member of Dundalk Golf Club produced a magnificent birdie on the 20th hole to take the top prize, becoming only the second Dundalk player, Michael, to win one of the Irish amateurs golf's major championship so there you go okay very good well done more <laughs> sporting crown is in dog absolutely all right thanks for that maria you'll be back with us uh, in a few minutes time uh, for that matter uh, with some of the thoughts and comments that people have uh, this morning perhaps people want to comment on the stories that are making the front pages of the local newspaper something else you've been hearing this morning or maybe there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us as always our telephone number is 185715958 marie will be back in as i say in a few moments with some of those comments and you can text us on oh Michael Reed on LMFM. Eamon TD may run for the presidency if he does. It will not be with the support of his party. It will instead be because of the support of county councillors. And joining us now is Fianna Fáil TD for Louth, Declan Bronach. And a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. If he gets the support of county councillors and the nomination of four councils, he could run as an independent, would that mean he'd lose his party's membership? Uh, firstly, I'd like to say Michael Estrema O'Keefe is a great colleague and mentor and I think he's just taking soundings, uh, would be my estimation, even though I haven't spoken to him directly. Uh, that would be a matter for uh, uh, the National Executive. Um, obviously, uh, the Parliamentary Party clearly made a decision, uh, which I didn't favour, I might add, that uh, uh, we wouldn't be running a candidate, but also declaring support for Michael D. Higgins. Uh, I said at that time, I made it very, very clear. Uh, firstly, I wasn't in attendance mm. uh, for a different reason, but not to do with the presidential election. Uh, when Only uh, 22 were in attendance, I think, was it? Yes, but I, I said clearly at that time it was premature. We need to see the lineup, as I said, mm. all the runners and riders, so that, you know, that it, it, not necessarily when I have. Uh, Nothing to hold against Michael D. Higgins. I just uh, feel that it would have been more appropriate to wait if we weren't running a candidate ourselves. It'd be more appropriate to to look at hmm. who else was in the field. And indeed, it would be awful, wouldn't it? Though, from your perspective, from your party's perspective, for Eamon O'Queeve to lose his membership of the party, uh, Eamon de, de Valera's grandson to lose his membership of the party, so that Fianna Fáil could support the Labour candidate. Uh, I fully agree with you there, Michael. I think uh, Eamon O'Keefe has served in fall loyally in, in, in many ministries. Uh, he's almost 30 years uh, in Dáil Éireann, and he's a very astute, uh, including gay who understands the difficulties particularly of rural Ireland, uh, and for that reason alone I admire him. It was uh, strange, and that was by, by a coincidence that, uh, I mean, I, I have clearly declared my preference uh, for, for an independent uh, candidate and will be following through on that, and that's uh, my good friend uh, Gavin, and, uh, obviously Orla Duffy, um, and uh, it was strange that on that evening I was actually <laughs> meeting with both of them in view to exploring the whole possibilities in relation to his 
uh, entering the race, uh, which of course we all know he now has. But Michael, Michael D clearly said he was only going for seven years. Uh, I support uh, him in his in his bid for re, uh, re-election. But for me, democracy uh, dictates uh, certainly that there should be an election. And uh, as your listeners well know, there are three routes to getting there. And clearly, uh, Eamon O'Keefe's bid uh, through Fianna Fáil and the Oireachtas certainly has been decided by that parliamentary party meeting. And uh, he obviously has to make up his mind as to whether he wants to run independent. Right. And obviously, the only other route is... Well, uh, is there another option or should there be another option? Because I'm reading in uh, the Irish Examiner today that the chair of uh, Galway County Council, who's a, a Fianna Fáil councillor, Sean O'Turishik, I mm. forgive me if I pronounce his name wrong, uh, but uh, the councillor has uh, told Radio Nagail Talk to, that a group within Fianna Fáil has written to Micheál Martin to ask him to reconsider the position at the time uh, when the 22 Oireachtas members decided to back Michael D. Higgins they didn't know there was going to be an election that there would be a, a contest uh, now there is going to be a contest so things have changed and they've asked for the party's position to be reconsidered Yeah I'm sure that request will be considered uh, Do you support it? Uh, I support the ability of any uh, person who wishes to contest uh, a presidential election to be allowed to do so to get the required uh, uh, support from the from the councils. And if Eamon O'Keefe makes a decision to stand, he would have my backing. But I've already committed uh, to another independent in that he's been a long life uh, lifelong friend who I think uh, will will uh, has a great contribution to make in terms of both his. Uh, ability, not just as a businessman, but indeed his awareness of people. Uh, we all know that Gavin Duffy, whether it was an age-friendly county here mm. in the North East. Will, will you campaign for Gavin Duffy? Uh, I will certainly support him, and I'm putting it on record here that I believe uh, there is a great team effort in, if he if he can secure the nomination uh, in his family, in his commitment to people. And there's, uh, as people said, there are two sides to everybody. But uh, my my knowledge of Gavin Duffy is that uh, if he commits himself, which he has mm. obviously but, is, but you will be asking people to give Gavin Duffy their number one. Uh, absolutely, on the basis that uh, uh, anybody running in the field, unless there is reconsideration by the parliamentary parties through Michal Martin, uh, Fianna Fáil will not be fielding a candidate, and that has been made clear by... Fianna Fáil, though, uh, is supporting uh, Michael D. Higgins. Uh, no, I'm not supporting Michael D. Higgins, nor I wouldn't have lent my weight to uh, that decision of the parliamentary party meeting. Had it been so you're, you, so, so, so you're, you're, you're publicly saying that you're going to break rank? Absolutely, I'm entitled to vote for who I believe and campaign for Michael D. Higgins and campaign for Gavin Duffy. Uh, Absolutely, campaign against Michael D. Higgins. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. It's uh, not uh, exactly what I had expected you to say. Uh, I'm sure you can understand that, that, Mike. But if you ask a question, you get a straight answer from me. Yeah. Uh, As far as as I'm concerned, at this minute in time, there's no Fianna Fáil candidate in the field. Uh, and uh, unless there's a change of mind, which I don't believe will happen, uh, that uh, if Eamon decides to stand, uh, and while, as I said, at the outset of your programme, he's a great colleague, and indeed has been a great mentor to me, uh, my long-term friendship uh, with somebody, a family that I know particularly well, and a lot of mm. people know in the North East, 
uh, for me, Gavin Duffy will bring uh, dynamism uh, to the office. Do, 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 you're, you're making a considered statement, obviously. You thought about this before you came on this morning. And do you expect there to be consequence, uh, some sort of sanction against you now as a result or as a result of the position that you've taken publicly? Absolutely not. Um, no. uh, if, 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 if somebody, if somebody who has are you putting it up to me? Hall, are you putting it up to me, Hall Martin? Here, because uh, uh, Fianna Fáil is said to be very divided on this. Uh, another issue in the long line of issues that the party has been divided on. Uh, I have made my position very, very clear. Indeed, immediately after the parliamentary party meeting, the record, the public record, will show. While I didn't indicate the person I was supporting, I said there were many uh, runners and riders to enter into the field. And uh, I think that loyalty, uh, one thing of loyalty to party, but uh, on the basis that Fianna Fáil at this moment in time are not running a candidate, uh, if Gavin Duffy secures the required requisite of council uh, votes, uh, I certainly will be putting my weight behind it. Thank you very much indeed for joining us here this morning. That's uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Loud, Declan Brannock. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. What is it about elections? (laughs) We've had some commentary already in relation to your interview there with Deputy Declan Bernock. Uh, Sean from Drogheda says, Micheál Martin clearly is not in touch with his own grassroots. Who decided that the party should support Michael D. Not the ordinary members. Many people don't agree with the leader. All right. Well, the leader has uh, something to deal with there after the interview this morning uh, yes. because Fianna Fáil's official position is that it is supporting Michael D. Higgins in uh, the election to become uh, the next president. Uh, Fianna Fáil TD, Declan Brannock has said he'll campaign against him. Seamus wants to know, so who is Declan going to vote for, Michael? Will it be Gavin Duffy, that he's a friend of, or his own party member that he admires so much? Mm. Uh, and then he goes on to say, or is, is there something we don't know? Is Gavin Duffy associated with Fianna Fáil? He wants to know, Seamus. Mm. Well, I, I don't know the answer to that, obviously. But uh, I, I, I think as things stand, uh, Gavin Duffy has put his name forward uh, and Declan Brannock is willing to support that campaign. Uh, he obviously has admiration for Eamon O'Queeve and would support a campaign yes. to get his name on the ticket and wouldn't oppose uh, him going to councils. Uh, but he, he, he hasn't... Uh, announced that. He hasn't declared that's his intention as yet uh, and uh, as Declan Brannock uh, said to us this morning, his understanding of it as things stand is uh, that he, he's putting out feelers uh, but he is, by all accounts, willing to campaign against Michael D. Higgins. Um, another listener, Tom, got in touch and says, if Fianna Fáil are happy for members to support any candidate they want, including an independent candidate, shouldn't you think they wouldn't mind voting for one of their own? Eamon mm. Keeve. <laughs> So there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a text from a listener to say it'd be a bad sign if Gavin Duffy's own um, county don't support his nomination. And that's referring to the story, of course, in the, the front of the Me Chronicle. All right, well, time will tell. Time will tell. tell um, who was this that phoned in? It was a caller. I just got Maureen. Maureen from Slane phoned in. And she says, Michael, a president of our country must have a law education, in my opinion, because he is upholding the Constitution. It's a very important job. Mm. 
And I just think there is no CV required that anybody can just throw their hat in the ring. And she wants somebody with credentials. She thinks the whole thing is a shambles that is just open to anybody and that no CV is required. Yep, well, that's uh, the case uh, and uh, the criteria is uh, defined by the Constitution. uh, But it is, she is right in saying uh, it's a a legal officer that uh, the President is uh, to all intents and purposes and their main uh, task is uh, to uphold uh, the constitution then there is uh, the cucumber sandwiches and uh, tea on the lawn and the ambassadorial role as well but uh, the most important aspect of uh, the job is uh, to act as a legal officer. Gavin Duffy uh, did uh, respond uh, to that point on the programme the other day and he was saying that uh, of course the president uh, has the uh, support and advice of so many people who have expertise in in these areas uh, when he comes uh, to make these decisions. Uh, Let's uh, go back to the story about uh, the students at Avantgarde, the Makeup Academy in Drogheda, and as to whether their qualifications are valid, uh, as we've been hearing over... uh, period of a a week or so, uh, there's uh, been a a lot of concern uh, because uh, the agencies affiliated with uh, the academy say that they've no connection and that their credentials shouldn't have been used as part of uh, the qualifications. The school did shut down for a time. Uh, It opened yesterday uh, to... Uh, allow some students back in uh, but it was also greeted by protest and Sharon Plant, uh, a student who's halfway through her course is on the line If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
morning, Sharon, and uh, thanks uh, for coming back to us. Did you get back into class yesterday? Um, we went in basically for a chat with Emma so that she could explain to us what was happening and kind of see things from her point of view. And she did promise to have proof to lay rest to the allegations that she's not affiliated with SIBTAC or BABTAC. This is Emma Gary Woods, the proprietor? Yes. Yes. Um, now, when I asked to see the proof, if it would be possible to see this in black and white, she did say it was with her legal team and she wasn't at liberty to show us. So, where to from here? <clears throat> what did she have to say about the future? Um, she said she's now promising a City and Girls and QTY qualification, mm. to which I did ask if she also had proof to show that she had applied for that. And she said it was all online and through phone calls with City and Gills. So she had no proof for us. So there really isn't a sure thing with City and Gills at the moment. Okay, because a legal notice has gone to her asking her to cease and desist using uh, the Babtech and uh, Sebtech uh, affiliation. Yeah, and she's claiming that that's complete nonsense that... um, she has been paying them the proper fees every year to be affiliated with themselves and to use their name. Mm. But like that, the proof that she has for us was not available last night. She wasn't able to show us. Okay, but they've told us that a, a legal order has uh, been uh, served on her, uh, insisting that she stops uh, referring to them. Uh, but she's now uh, offering uh, City and Gills accredited courses, is it? She is, yes. She said she has gone through the application process and she's just waiting for them to come out and assess the college to go ahead with this. Uh, There were a number of people there last night, uh, from what I understand. Uh, How was the mood? It was quite emotional, I have to say. Um, It was a very strange setting. You know, she had her father present and her husband and... You know, it was just very emotional for the girls not to know where we stand and we're trying to get the answers which she had promised to give us and yet she had no proof there for us in black and white to show us. And did people feel happier at the end of the meeting? Um, We did and we didn't. Like, she did say during the meeting that she's more than happy for us to go ahead through the legal process and sue her for a refund but she certainly won't be refunding us. And the only other option is to go ahead with what SIBTAC has on offer to do the assessment. And um, if we didn't want to do that, we could hang on and get a city and guild with herself. Okay, so there are the options as people have them in front of them. Uh, They can decide to pursue the legal route uh, or they can uh, avail of the options uh, that have uh, been offered uh, by the British agencies uh, to do this assessment and the bridging course and uh, the uh, final qualification uh, if uh, that uh, is one that people uh, choose to do or the City and Guilds accredited course that Emma says she's offering now. Yes, that's it. Now, right. I did this morning, I did send an email to City and Gills to mm-hmm. confirm that the application has been put through because, to be honest, we're not naive enough at this point to just believe what somebody says. We need evidence in front of us. But you're hoping to complete your course in Drogheda? Um, no, I am completely done there now. I don't have any hope for that college at all. 
Okay, Sharon, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed. I imagine uh, we'll be hearing more uh, about that ongoing story uh, again in uh, the coming days. That's uh, Sharon Plant there. Now let's uh, go back to some more of the comments. Marie? Yes, we were discussing yesterday, Michael, Brexit, and I know we're going to be discussing the economic implications on the show today. But regarding your interview with Jim Wells, uh, Patsy from Carrick got in touch to say that maybe the next time you have... um, Uh, Mr Wells on, that you might ask him why votes in the North count when it comes to a united Ireland but not on Brexit. And then uh, he says that the UK vote is the one that counts then. And why doesn't the UK vote count when it comes to same-sex marriage and abortion? He feels that uh, uh, Jim Wells is only in the UK when it suits him. Okay. Uh, another listener says, does Jim Wells not worry about the impact of a hard Brexit on the peace process and also on the economy, both north and south? As a politician, I would have thought that that would be a priority with him. Mm, yeah, yeah. don't think he sees it that way. Yeah, no. Doesn't seem to. Yeah. Um, we also had a, a Betty from Allahide was in touch about our discussion or, or I read out a comment yesterday to do with uh, parking and disability parking and um, Betty says Michael I think the mother and baby slots are a joke the child gets out the, of the door and he's six foot tall and his fit <laughs> is a fiddle while an older person with creaking hips has to be a contortionist to try and get out of the car that, that even Twiggy wouldn't be able to fit out of. And she says there needs to be more spaces, bigger spaces, I think, for those of us who have hip problems, mm. says Betty in Malahide. Yeah, so. I think the space is really for prams and buggies, isn't it? The extra space to put the, the parking bays are, are, are wider. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. she thinks that for, for those with hip problems, maybe they should consider yeah, them. Yeah, well, I think she's saying for hips, prams, buggies, but not for 16-year-old, six-foot young Yes, yeah. getting out of the mm-hmm. car. And then just finally, we were talking also about back-to-school cots and we had a phone call uh, from Gillian just to say that she finds that most parents, when it comes to back-to-school, do plan and have a budget in place that ask any parent and they do spread the cost out throughout the whole summer. And I think Mm. one listener did say that yesterday too. Yeah, well, not according to that survey from uh, the League of Credit Unions. Uh, Well, maybe it is most. I think it was uh, 46% of uh, people who find themselves in debt at this time of the year because of the cost of children returning to school in September. Thanks for that, Marie. Thanks to everybody who's been in touch with us. And remember that, as always, if you would like to make comment on the programme, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850-715-958. That's 1850-715-958. 958. If you ring that number this morning, you'll be speaking with Marie or Maggie, who will be delighted to take your comment and hear what's on your mind. Or you can text us on 086 1800 658. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, it's been one of uh, the best years. It could, in fact, turn out to be the best summer ever. And uh, the good weather is uh, to return uh, this weekend with uh, the long weekend, the summer weather, few drinks, few spliffs down to your gaff and split you open with a hatchet, as the case may be. Commonplace with good weather, according to Sinn Féin, who want ministers to step up to the plate and change all of this. And we're joined by Patrick Tobin, Sinn Féin TD for Mead West, to tell us why. Is it the criminal behaviour or the good weather you want the ministers to stop? 
Well, it's a, it's a very serious issue now, in fairness. Um, I've been inundated over the last number of weeks uh, with complaints from residents in housing estates in Mead uh, who have just seen a massive increase in antisocial behaviour. A small number of people are making life living hell for decent residents uh, in these housing estates. And some of the violence is shocking. And you mentioned a, a report that was made to me um, in the last week where people were um, at each other with hatchets in the middle of a housing estate uh, in, uh, in in broad daylight. Uh, we've seen massive amount of uh, an, an increase mm. in the criminal damage to property. And what we're seeing is that... Where, you know, where, where was that being, fight? Where, where I, was the hatchet honest, fight? I don't, I, it was in Navin, but I don't want to name the housing estate. Um, the danger here is it's happening... There's about five or six housing estates in Navin mm. that are seeing this a particular increase in this. And I've told the Guardi where it's at. I've, I've met with the Guardi on it. But I'm, I'm cautious also of giving the housing estates bad names as well because there are mostly decent people living in these housing estates. And um, oftentimes, if you give a housing estate a bad name, you can actually perpetuate um, the type of uh, behaviour that happens in, in those places mm. as well. Um, I also know, just for example, that in, in the town of Navin and in other towns, you know, there's, there's a shopping centre in the area that is just every week has... Uh, literally young people in it, smashing windows, uh, etc. There's a, uh, a restaurant, a cha- part of a chain of restaurants in the county that closes earlier than any other of uh, those other restaurants in the chain in the country because of the amount of antisocial behaviour that's happening. And it, it, there's actually been a, a big increase in crime figures. And believe it or not, Meath is one of the highest increase in crime figures in the last year, uh, with three times the national rate increase in those figures. And I know of people are who they gar- are, actually, are they guard figures? They're guard figures. They're oh, CSO sure. figures. Yeah. And the CSO suspended their mm, uh, yeah. analysis of figures there uh, over a year ago because they weren't convinced that the guard figures were accurate. But when they restarted analysing figures and creating figures again, those figures showed a three-time increase of the average in meat. And um, so we have a serious problem here. I know of people who are going to bed with a knife in their hand. Um, because they're fearful of the criminal damage that could be done to them or their property <clears throat> at night. But you say that it, it, it gets worse when the weather gets better, that people start drinking earlier and uh, doing whatever they do earlier uh, and uh, end up off their heads and acting this way. There's no doubt in my mind. I've, I've been elected rep for 10 years now and uh, when the good weather of the summer comes, this issue ramps up more. Uh, I, I would know people who would call me in housing estates with kids who pray that it rains on the weekends, pray that it rains, because they don't want uh, people to be taken over green areas or laneways or alleyways uh, and just drinking late into the night um, and fights starting as a result and criminal damage happening as a result. Is it really that bad? It, it, is, it, is, it is particularly bad in particular places. Mm. Now, the majority of the county have a very positive experience mm. uh, when there's good weather. Like, you're not sensationalising this. I mean, I, no. I, I'd have thought most people uh, are, are saying, well, aren't, isn't it amazing? This is one of the best summers ever, despite the problems with the water and whatever. It, it, it's fabulous. It's great for the kids. We're all making memories, and we'll remember this for decades to come. It is. It has been a wonderful summer, and I don't want to say that uh, in any way that people mm. aren't glad that it's been a wonderful summer. People are delighted it has been. But for a small few people in certain parts of our county, people are gripped with fear as a result of the actions that are happening. And unfortunately, the the truth of the matter is, 
So most of this is happening in working class estates. Mm. And it's a, it's a small group of people within those estates that are doing it to their own communities. Yeah, um, they're doing it to their own communities and they're damaging their, their own neighbours, their own friends and, and, and their own families when they do that. And that's why there has to be a proper response. And why why have, isn't there a proper response? Why don't the guards respond? Well, we have a, a particular problem in Mead and, uh, you know, it's Mead has the lowest number of Gardaí uh, per capita uh, than any other county in yeah. the state. Every other county in the state has more Gardaí per capita than Mead at the moment. And I know for a fact, and I've been, I've been talking to Gardaí on this, I, I've met with the, the superintendent, I've met with the, the chief superintendent for the county, I've met with the Gardaí commissioner for the, Mead, or for the eastern region, yeah. and I've met with the HR manager for the whole of the Gardaí, and whole swathes of our county on certain days of the week could have only five Gardaí on duty. Mm. And if two of them are called out for an arrest or uh, in the car to, uh, to a particular altercation, that leaves a skeleton staff. Um, All right. If there was an altercation in one of uh, the better areas or, or wealthier areas of the town and there was an altercation at the same time in a working class state, which one would you think they re- would respond to? I have no evidence to say that the Gardaí would respond differently in different areas, to be honest. Um, now, you know, people might be of the view... What do you that, think? Well, I know from talking to people in certain estates, they would feel that their estate gets left behind. They, they ignore, they is, ignore is, they the ignored. call. They ignore the call. And then people say, why, why did I see them down the chipper? I'm not saying that the Gardaí ignore the call. But, like, to be honest, Michael, if I'm going to make statements on your show, I, I, I'll make them on the basis of evidence that I've seen. And I'm not saying that the Gardaí ignore calls into particular areas. What I'm actually saying is that the Gardaí are working on a, on a skeleton staff in County Mead. That's, you know, we have uh, counties beside us, not Blythe, but other counties beside us that would have double the amount of Gardaí per capita uh, than we have in Mead. And we, ha- we, ha- we have no Garda headquarters in County Mead. And the, the, the point that I made in the statements there was one thing that we do have more of per capita in Mead than any other county is government ministers. And I'm just saying that those government ministers, some of them are there nearly, um, well, they're elected for 10, 15 years, but they're in government for seven years. I'm saying that they need to use their, their political leverage at this time and actually just equalise the amount of Gardaí we have in Meath to other counties. We don't want any more than any other county. Just bring us up to the same rate of Gardaí with the same resources, mm. with a, a, a proper um, and, and, a, a headquarters, and, what, what, and then what you, we'd have a chance. OK, but it. what you do have evidence of is people saying to you they don't respond to calls in our estate, don't you? People do say that to me, yeah. and, 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 you know... That's anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Um, and, it, it and can't be contrasted with anywhere else. But so. if there were more Gardaí in, in the county, do you think people would still be saying that? It, 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 it may be. Like, listen, this is a multifaceted problem as well. The Gardaí response is not the only problem to this. Yeah. Like, we, we, what for, about for the Garda attitude? Do you, do, you, do you have concern about the Garda attitude to certain parts of the town? In my experience, the Gardaí have been very good and have um, themselves on an individual basis have been doing their best. Uh, I have been working with community Gardaí. For example, one of the things that we in Sinn Féin are doing to respond to this question... Do you not have a concern? Is, is, the, setting, is the setting up of a... Uh, is the setting up of neighbourhood watch schemes. Mm. And after this uh, conversation with you, I'm going to four estates in Navan to start in the setting up of neighbourhood watch schemes. And in my experience, Gardaí in the, in the town have been very good 
in actually helping us set those neighbourhood watch schemes Ah, up. yeah, but what about policing the town? I mean, would you be concerned about the attitude of Gardaí not going into working class uh, estates when complaints are made uh, by residents about the behaviour that's taking place in the estates? And at the same time, would you be also concerned about the attitude of Gardaí who stop young people in working class estates, stop and search them uh, when they don't do that in other parts of the town? What I'm saying to you is, and I'll say it loud and clear again, I have no evidence to say that the Guardi. But because have, you're hearing these complaints from people all of the time, are you concerned about it? And do you think that it needs to be established one way or the other? Well, my, my belief that, and I'll give you the solutions, I believe that is necessary to solve this particular issue for a start. I believe we need far more Guardi so that they can actually do their job. And that's, uh, that's really, really important. And probably the most important response element to this. The second level here is that we need communities to come together to build neighbourhood watch schemes and residence associations. They need to be strong in standing up to the criminal behaviour that's in these areas. We also need community facilities in, this, in, in these areas. For example, Johnstown and Navin, there's nearly 6,000 people living in Johnstown and Navin, and yet there are no community facilities put in there yet by the state uh, uh, at the moment, which means that there's lots of young kids in summer evenings with very little productive uh, activities to be involved in. We also need some kind of drug response in, in this county. Like, we have... Uh, we have well, a, so a why? There's plenty of drugs. Response to the drugs is what Oh, OK, right. But what about the question I asked you? But what about the question I asked you? I mean, what's the point in talking about all that stuff if there's a problem? I don't believe the question you're asking me is actually the root of the problem here, Michael. I believe that there's far more uh, solution opportunities than... Um, uh, actually saying that a Garda is going into one estate rather than another estate. What I would do, for example, would be if there's a kid on drugs in Meath, that you would provide the proper solutions to help them come off those drugs. We had Ashling International Group working in Meath for years and having its um, funds cut by the state. These are people who are actively involved in taking, getting kids off drugs, and yes, uh, they were they had their funds taken off them. If a kid at the moment in me is on drugs, there's practically no rehabilitation beds in the county for those kids to be able to start a new life and come off those drugs. So there's 101 things we can do as a community with regard to this, but it starts first and foremost in having an adequately resourced police service that are confident to go into these estates and, and resolve them. That, you know, these people can't act with impunity in the middle of the day without a response from the Gardaí. OK, we'll leave it on that note. Thanks indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Meath West, Peter Tobin. Michael Reed on LMFM. It's not often you see too many politicians in August. Uh, the French president is at his holiday retreat in uh, the south of France. I'm not too sure he's too pleased to have a visitor from Theresa May or how pleased that the British Prime Minister is to be breaking her summer holidays. But uh, such is uh, the crisis that looms over Brexit. She's breaking her summer holiday and meeting with various European leaders over the coming weeks, or at least that's her hope and and intention to convince them of her argument. What her argument is, well, God knows, but the central bank is warning of a no-deal Brexit and all that goes with it and how this could lead to significant short-term disruption here and that the government and business need to, to prepare. We're joined by Neil MacDonald, Chief Executive of ISME, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprise Association. Good morning to you, Neil, and Good thanks morning, for joining us. I'm sure you're watching this closer than most uh, how concerned are you at this stage? 
Well, I, I suppose the big difficulty for us looking at this over, over a, a long time period from, from June 2016 when the vote took place um, is that there was a legitimate expectation that there would be some progress on some of the reasonably fundamental issues. Um, and yet we find that there isn't. And I, I suppose the difficulty... Um, from our point of view is that there remains a complete absence of clarity on whether uh, the United Kingdom intends to remain uh, in in the customs union, if it ten- intends to remain in the single market, if it's going to go for um, a European economic area solution and an EEA solution like Norway or Switzerland or Iceland, or, or mm-hmm. what does it intend to do? And the, the absence of clarity on those makes it very difficult to... I, I, I know the mantra is uh, hope for the best and prepare for the worst, but nobody knows what the worst looks like. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think Britain knows what it wants itself, or at least it's at odds with itself. The National Institute for Economic and Social Research Research, the NIES or the British equivalent of the ESRI is today saying that Britain is gripped by an epidemic of uncertainty about the terms of its departure and that Britain will end up paying a higher financial contribution or accept migration if it's to get the type of deal that it's looking for. Yeah, um, it's difficult to argue with that point of view. I, I think that one of the things that people don't appreciate is that actually the common market, that the single market that we live in now in the in the EU, is actually a British creation. When when we joined the EEC, uh, it, it was the the European Economic Community, but it wasn't a single market, and the border posts and the customs post didn't come down until the single market was established in 1992. And that was effectively a, a, a brainchild and, and pushed through by Margaret Thatcher. Um, she, she was the original free trade member of, uh, of, of within the EU. And now the UK is stating, or at least as you and I are talking to each other this morning, Michael, their official position is that they're leaving that single market. Well, leaving the single market means of necessity that costs are going to arise uh, that do not arise now. So you will hear these, you, you hear this sort of mantra coming from the very hard Brexit brigade that there'll be no hard border on the island of Ireland unless Ireland and the EU puts one up. That's simply not the case. Under WTO rules, Ireland and the United Kingdom will be obliged to put in border controls because that's what happens when you're not in a single market. Mm. Well, this calls into question, I I think, what uh, the government is preparing for and what it's not preparing for or what it's telling us probably more to the point because uh, the government uh, says uh, that the backstop, uh, as it's known, will be put in place where the same regulatory alignment uh, will apply uh, across all of the island. Uh, That, of course, would be illegal under British law. No British Prime Minister would agree to it according to the... The Prime Minister who agreed to it. But the upshot of all of this is that there is this prospect of a hard border, which the government says it's not preparing for, which is beggar's belief, isn't it? Well, uh, look, uh, Michael, I appreciate the political difficulties. You're, you're now asking me what's a, 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 um, essentially a political question. I appreciate the political 
difficulties um, for the Taoiseach or Simon Coveney engaging with that question about the backstop. What I would say to you is, irrespective of the establishment of a hard border um, north of you uh, or not, whether mm. it happens or not, let, let, let us say that Northern Ireland does remain in in a, a regulatory framework that's consistent with the Republic. Mm. SMEs are still in big trouble because the fact is that most business for both NI businesses and Republic of Ireland businesses is east-west. It isn't north-south over the border. And actually, if there is going to be an impact on small businesses as a result of a hard border, it's going to hit Northern Ireland businesses far more than it's going to hurt businesses down here. That's the nature of the trade balance uh, between us. The real hit will be on those people who are doing their business east-west. So going out of Dublin or, 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 or going out of uh, uh, going out of Rosslare mm. to the UK, there, there is no way that that business is not going to be severely impacted um, by a hard Brexit. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we heard uh, the British talk uh, about stockpiling blood, medicines, foodstuffs, essential goods, uh, and uh, here the Taoiseach has said, yeah, well, look, we'll be doing something similar. We'll be stockpiling uh, medicines, uh, perhaps, uh, and we'll be recruiting a, a thousand customs and veterinary uh, officials uh, on that east-west border because uh, that is uh, the consequence of establishing uh, these checks and balances and that the movement of goods will be slowed, it'll be more costly, uh, and uh, that uh, some goods uh, will perish on route, so supermarket shelves will be empty. Yes, um, th- th- this is one of the areas where, uh, and ironically, a lot of the talk to date has been about the customs impact, uh, the tariff impact, the VAT impact. Quite frankly, there, and I don't want to diminish the problems, please don't think that I'm diminishing those problems when I say that they're actually the easy bit because they are predictable. You can ring up Intertrade Ireland if you're selling a product uh, north of the border or selling it into GB, and Intertrade will tell you what the WTO tariff on that product is. Uh, similarly, if you're importing uh, goods from the UK and you're going to uh, you're, you're going to sustain a, a VAT hit, you you can quantify that in cash right now. The problem with things like and it is interesting um, how this is coming out in the food and the medical field now. A huge amount of the establishment of a common market is agreeing the legal standards that dictate what's written on the back of your food product or baby food or indeed cosmetics or veterinary products. And that's the reason why you're hearing this talk about blood blood products and uh, tissue products. They are regulated by law and the UK has not given any indication about where they intend to be from a regulatory point of view from March 2019 onwards. Now, we assume that the transition period is going to, we hope, ensure that there's not going to be any change, immediate change in March 2019. But two years down the road, you still can't say what the label inside a packet, an ordinary packet of painkillers, hmm. what it's going to read. If you're selling a, a, a food product into the UK, is the UK going to have a divergent set of rules on that? If you're buying veterinary products from the UK, 
will those products contain warnings uh, that are consistent with EU law or will they have ingredients that are illegal under EU law? Mm. These are all the tiny little points of detail that people have not been giving consideration to in the United Kingdom. Uh, The tiny bits of detail that would lead to a catastrophic situation, but I, I, I think uh, one that most of us don't contemplate. We don't believe that it's going to happen. We hear talk of these doomsday scenarios, but we believe that common sense will prevail. What's your feel about it all? I, I, I would like to... Uh, I, I would hope that you're right and that common sense will prevail and some of the stuff we're seeing in the media and polling in the UK is suggesting that sentiment is turning. Whether it's capable of, of turning fast enough for... for uh, you know, people to change their minds or to opt for an option that looks more like the uh, EFTA or the EEA, whether, whether the UK can do that in time for at the end of the transition period is another thing. I mean, neither of us, I suspect, Michael, could give any certainty on that. But I, but I really think that the, the UK political system needs to engage with that because, mm. you know, the, the things like the car industry, as much as the UK thinks, you know, they're going to enter into all these massive free trade agreements, the stuff that's happening right now, for instance, in agricultural quotas, uh, and the dismemberment of them um, post-Brexit. Already the New Zealanders, the Australians, the Argentinians are objecting to the proposed changes just on things like uh, um, uh, beef and lamb. So this is going to be an incredibly difficult and, and complex thing unless the UK opts for something like uh, the European Economic Area or the European Free Trade Area. Mm. Uh, and Worst case scenario, uh, I mean, uh, we've heard uh, an ex-director of the World Trade Organization this week uh, talking about Ireland needing aid from other European countries. Uh, The central bank is predicting that 40,000 jobs would be lost, uh, that the economy would shrink. I think Pascal Donoghue, the minister, said uh, in the region of 40,000 to 60,000 jobs would be lost. Uh, I mean, it really doesn't bear thinking about, does it? No, uh, no, it, it most certainly doesn't. I mean, what I would say, uh, and, you know, while we're on the topic, Michael, it isn't all bad. I mean, I am aware of SME members of ours who see opportunity in this, in in becoming uh, substitutes for UK businesses. So it isn't all doom and gloom. However, for the agribusiness uh, um, sector in particular, but also for small manufacture, believe it or not, a lot of small manufacturing firms in Ireland are quite integrated into car manufacture in the UK. And for those businesses, this sort of uncertainty is especially at this point, eight months out, is really business critical and it could really affect their ability to borrow or to contract forward or to decide what's going to happen with their employees. So we really do need some clarity to emerge. Uh, I mean, October really is drop-dead time um, for a lot of these uh, people to understand what direction the UK is going to go. All right, well, we'll find out in time. Uh, Hopefully uh, by October there'll be some more clarity on it, uh, if not before that. Uh, But in the meanwhile, uh, the uncertainty continues. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, to talk uh, about uh, that uncertainty. Neil MacDonald is the Chief Executive of ISME. That's uh, the Irish Small and Medium Enterprises Association. Thank you.
Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Uh, a number of young people have been highlighting uh, mental health and uh, positive well-being as members of the Youth Advocate Programme's YAP Ireland. Uh, members from uh, across uh, the country met in Crow Park last week to highlight uh, a number of projects under the theme of Mind Yourself, Mind Each Other. Young people speak out on improving mental health and well-being as part of of uh, this. Uh, there was artwork from Young People in Me, the song written and performed by a young person from Louth, and uh, sculptures made by young people in Cavan. Uh, we're joined by Siobhan O'Dwyer, who's uh, Chief Executive Officer of YAP. Good morning to you, Siobhan, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, generally speaking, you're talking uh, about troubled young people that you aim to help. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Good morning, uh, Michael. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to you today. Uh, yeah, young people are referred to um, Youth Advocate Programmes Ireland primarily by TUSLA social workers um, and they are often um, facing a range of um, difficulties in their lives um, and uh, we work with them in a strengths-based, needs-led way um, to help them to achieve their own goals and to um, reach the answers to the problems that they have themselves. Right, and through the projects uh, that have been completed and showcased at Crow Park, they highlighted a, a number of issues. Perhaps uh, you talk us through some of them. Yeah, so the young people um, and uh, families from across the country, um, every year we choose a, a theme, and they chose this year, Mind Yourself, Mind Each Other. Um, and I suppose that's very much around the theme of mental health, which is obviously a very big issue um, for young people and it's something that's in the media um, and that young people are talking about a lot more. Um, and so they looked at different um, ways to express their views around how we can both mind ourselves and mind each other. Um, so um, a young person in Loud actually wrote a song around how do you look after yourself and your, the need to have um, friends and family also on your side. Um, and she performed that live in Crow Park in front of 200 people on Thursday, which is a very brave thing to do and did a brilliant job. Um, and other young people um, have also worked on different projects. Um, so a number of things like uh, Wishing Tree um, was um, put together and made by the young people in Laos. And again, that was around belief in yourself and belief in what you want to achieve in life and not, um, not thinking that because you may have particular difficulties in an area or because you don't feel that you belong, that you can't have goals and that you can't mm-hmm. go after those goals and belief and believe in yourself and then get support to meet those goals. Why is there so much focus on uh, well-being uh, in this way, whether that's uh, mental health or, or self-confidence? Uh, I, I mean, I suppose there was a, a time when some of us were a lot younger ourselves and would have thought of that as being particularly American. Yeah, that's very true. I suppose it is part of the changing um, Irish society to some extent that um, we are a lot more comfortable, I suppose, acknowledging and talking about the different things that impact on ourselves, number one, but then also, I suppose, for the new generations coming up, that they are a lot more open to talking about these things and coming up with solutions to them. I suppose the young people um, are under pressure from very similar areas as they were in the past, but also there are some new areas of pressure, particularly, I suppose, around social media, um, but also um, around education. A lot of the issues that come up for young people, um, particularly from deprived areas, 
um, are very similar to what they were in the past. There's a lot of social exclusion. Uh, deprivation and poverty is still a major issue, as we know. And I suppose the focus on mind yourself, mind each other is one around what can you do for yourself to build up your own confidence, your own self-esteem and your own resilience because the world isn't always a kind place. Mm. But also then, number two, from a policy point of view, what should services be doing? What should the government be doing to um, try and reduce the impact of some of these issues on young people and families? And by actually asking young people themselves and parents about not only their experiences, but solutions, what are the types of things that they think would work? Then we often get much better outcomes and we often get much better um, informed service delivery and policies across a range of areas. And I, I so, take it it's the outcomes in terms of the young people's lives that are at issue. Is there a, a typical profile of a young person who's referred to, to a YAP programme? Well, they would. it would be very many different things. So I suppose some of the things would be around issues at school. Mm. Perhaps they're starting to, they've dropped out of school or are struggling to remain in school. They may be quite isolated. There may be mental health um, issues that are already um, showing themselves. Self-harm can be an issue. Uh, young people who are having difficulties relating to their parents, parents who are finding it really hard to cope with what can be often quite stroppy teenagers, as mm. we all know, who have teenagers. Um, but more typically from deprived, more typically from deprived areas than affluent areas. It's probably a, a mix of of both, probably about half and half, because we do work across a lot of very rural areas, which also would have high levels of poverty and deprivation, but it may be more hidden than in the cities. But probably about um, 60%, 40%. When we look at our demographic, um, I suppose one of the indicators of that would be um, families who have a medical card. And so that would be quite high. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it, it it does depend. I mean, young people... In, all, in lots of different types of families can face difficulties. Some young people obviously will have access to services and supports that um, their families can bring in um, that uh, other families would not have access to. So poverty and deprivation does still play a key role. And can you, can you make Homelessness a, is linked to that as well. And can you make a, a, a link between why people in deprived areas are also deprived of uh, the type of uh, nutrition that uh, you would uh, expect uh, people to receive? Um, well, that's not an, an area that I would be an expert in now. Um, but I suppose from the young people that we see um, and that we work with, Um, You know, it is all about how you look after yourself better and how you look after your family better. Um, And so, uh, you know, looking after your own physical health would be part of that. And obviously, if a young person is feeling isolated, if they're um, feeling left out, if they're feeling a bit depressed, then they're more likely not to be engaging in activities that are beneficial to them. And they may be, you know, reliant more on junk food or comfort eating and it can be very hard for anybody to break those um, those cycles mm. and so certainly we would have a very holistic approach I suppose not to be too terminology that we would ask the young person what are the things in their life 
that they think are impacting on them and what are the goals they have. And so a big part of what YAP does is actually try and and link young people into hobbies for life. And you've been measuring that uh, and uh, it seems from uh, what uh, you've uh, imparted with us, the results are are, are impressive, uh, huge uh, positive response in terms of self-esteem, confidence uh, and uh, other issues uh, that young people face. Yes, absolutely. So by working in partnership very much and putting the needs of the young person and what they want to achieve at the begin from the very beginning, it's very much their program, um, and that then they we can actually achieve very good outcomes with young people around a range of issues. I mean, obviously, self-esteem and confidence, an 83% improvement is very good, but also you know 79% improvement in aspirations. And that's very important when we, we've been talking about, you know, the fact that young people sometimes can feel very um, trapped or societal issues can affect them, you know, that actually that they can also then have hope and see ways that they can actually impact on what they want to do in the future. And that's a really, really important um, outcome for us as well, that we're offering hope to young people and families that they can make changes for themselves but that they can also deal with some of the difficulties that life will throw up and be much more confident in how they're going to be able to deal with those and deal with them in a positive way. All right, very good. Listen, thanks uh, for taking the time to be with us. Uh, What was the the name of that young girl from Louth uh, that sang in front of so many people at Crow Park? Oh, I I don't know (laughs) now, and I don't know that I could say without her permission. Sorry. All right, listen, we leave it there. Thanks indeed uh, for that, Siobhan. Siobhan O'Dwyer, Chief Executive of YAP Ireland, brings our programme to its conclusion today. That's all we have time for. Before we go, let me remind you, there'll be a podcast of today's show available on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Marie in the Control Tower. I'm Michael, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.